0: Hello and welcome to Upfront of the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vonganya. Thank you so much for joining us today. Historically, women in Africa have faced numerous challenges in accessing financial services that include loans, savings, and other financial tools that would help them grow their businesses, invest in education for themselves or their children, and help them respond to family emergencies the format expert said that economic exclusion has significant negative consequences for women and their families as well as for the broader economy today's guest says that a key aspect of promoting financial inclusion for women in Africa involves overcoming barriers such as a limited financial literacy and awareness Patience Mutesi is the CEO of Rwanda's Bank Populaire, based in the capital Kigali. And she joins me to talk about why financial inclusion is considered an important component of sustainable development, economic growth, and social equality. Patience, welcome. It's good to see you. Thank you so, Thank much, you so much for, for joining me. us. So, let's talk about first of all, as before we get into the full discussion on financial inclusion, let's talk about your journey. How did you find yourself into banking?
1: So thank you very much for having me on the show, Jackson. You're welcome. My journey in the financial sector started in 2004, immediately after I got out of school. And I really had a passion for small businesses. So naturally, my journey started in microfinance. I did a bit of microfinance and then you know grew through to banking mm-hmm. I've since then been really passionate about supporting small businesses and currently leading a bank where we're able to do that more practically
0: right now banking is very much underrepresented we're talking about financial inclusion are there any specific experiences or challenges that have shaped your views on the importance of uh, financial inclusion especially for women
1: So growing up, Jackson, um, my family and I were in a country outside of, you know, our country of birth, which is, or or nationality, which is Rwanda, and um, it was very evident to me being part of a family where uh, my mom was running a small business, how difficult it is for women particularly to access financing, but beyond that, women refugees. It's even more complicated for them to be able to access financial services. Mm -hmm. So from the outset, at a very young age, it was evident to me that there is need for us to have a more um, concerted effort to supporting women in business, but particularly those that are naturally left out of financial inclusion. So it's something that I have grown really passionate Mm. about. Now,
0: in your experience as one of the few female leaders of a banking institution, a financial institution, have you seen any unique contributions or challenges that women executives bring to the pursuit of financial inclusion?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of studies that have been done to show that having women in leadership in financial institutions brings a broad range of benefits. But number one is the power of innovation because of that diversity in perspectives. You know, in most of our countries, you have a population of 50, at least 50-50 women to men. But naturally, if you have men leading financial institutions, the kind of products and services that will be Provided will be more suited for men. Mm. So, having women in leading financial institutions means they bring on that perspective of what makes products and services, financial products and services, more accessible to women. Mm. So, that is something that we see on a daily basis. But, number two is also how do we then attract talent? Because financial services really require that. Both women and men put in a lot of time. And so you will see that for most banks or microfinances, at entry level you have so many women or so many girls mm. coming in. But as you go up the ladder, there's so many that are then left out. And there has to be a reason for that. So what are some have of the barriers
0: of them, you know, migrating up?
1: Some of the barriers are naturally that there is a lot of time that is is, is required in, in banking. And so once women start to have children, the balance between their career, their professional lives and their family lives mm-hmm. then becomes very difficult. Mm-hmm. And so they opt to kind of stay, stay within what they know, the comfort, zone. the comfort zone, because mm-hmm. they cannot put in so much more time. And so we have been challenging ourselves as women executives to say... What is it that we can do to make sure that we deliberately grow women and girls within this career path? Mm -hmm. And if you have men at the top, they will not be thinking that. So that's one of the other things that that brings. The third um, benefit that comes with it is increased profitability. Because of the the way decisions are made, because of the level of accountability, Um, there have been endless studies that have shown that institutions that are led by women are able to present a lot more profitability. There's, there's a study that was done by BCG that I would encourage you also to look at. Mm. Profitability also inc- increases. But beyond that, economically, economic growth is much more, there's a lot more contribution to economic growth in areas where there is uh, women-leading institutions. Mm. Does that
0: mean as a woman leader you're designing products that are specifically geared towards that
1: demographic absolutely, of women? Absolutely. Uh,
0: okay, let's talk about some of the strategies or initiatives that you brought to Uh, your leadership role, what are some of the things that you've done to increase inclusion in in these financial services?
1: So it is a work in progress. There's a lot more that we're doing, uh, but um, one of the things is to say having women at the top, how do we then create products and services that brings in the women that would be excluded? So right now, we are developing a women banking strategy that would define products and services to help us reach that market even more. And then internally, just looking at things such as uh, breast re- feeding rooms for for um, for, uh, mothers. for mothers mm. within the workspace, uh, daycare services for those who want to come to work uh, with their children, mm. for those who are not able to get help at home. Um, so there's a lot more beyond that that we're looking at, but there are a number of initiatives um, that are in the pipeline that mm. I'd be pleased to talk about. So
0: I again. guess one of the main issues is having more women working in the banking, banking sector, mm-hmm. because they respond better to the needs of other women outside of uh, the banking institution. Correct. Um, Are there any untapped opportunities areas where the banking sector can further contribute to enhancing uh, financial inclusion, especially for underserved women, underserved communities?
1: I think... um it's very important to think about what are the challenges that exclude women um, from accessing some of these products and services. And one of those is that there is what we call time poverty for most women, because you have so many competing priorities. Mm. So we're thinking about you know, the women in the rural areas, for example. Uh, from the beginning of the day to the end of the day they're busy with household chores, community services, plus work. So with that in mind, uh, the time poverty aspects, what we would want is to provide them with products and services that they can reach on their fingertips without leaving their home for example. And that would mean you want people to be able to use either USSD code or mobile banking to open up accounts, to um, get credit, to you know. Send or receive money. So some of the, some of the things that we are developing is products that are in, uh, you know, uh, that revolve around technology. How do we use pr- technology mm-hmm. to reach our customers mm-hmm. beyond our banking halls?
0: Technology. I mean, when you talk about technology, obviously there's a, a digital divide among rural areas. You know, again, you 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 you, you see that there's still a gap. With you know women who live in the rural areas accessing banking services using these new technologies, I know that you know, in Africa there's been a proliferation of uh, internet technology and cell phone technology, even in the rural areas but let's talk let me, let me ask you this question because I know most people will want to know how like your advice to a young woman that wants to get into banking mm. as a career, where do they start
1: So banking is not as scary as people are made to believe. Uh, I would encourage anyone. Demystify it for us. Why <laughs> <laughs> is it not scary? <laughs> it, it is not that mm. scary because I think the most important aspect is to get an entry point into into banking and that would be you know anything from uh, officer level uh, kind of opportunities that are available but once you get into the financial sector it's really really important that you surround yourself with a community of support that is going to one help you identify opportunities for growth that are available mm-hmm. but additionally also encourage you to take growth into your own hands. The problem is that because it's a very demanding sector, most of us get in and then just start late and not really invest time into growth. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of opportunities for growth. There's a lot of uh, lessons or, or courses that can be taken online. So I would encourage two things, number one, community of, of, uh, of support. Taking uh, that growth, growth into your own hands. Mm. Number three is mentorship. That community of 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 support really includes a number of mentors that are available, mm. and most of us really want to mentor uh, girls. Personally, I've taken on an initiative of identifying a number of people that you can help to to bring up that mm. career ladder. Mm. So that's also another benefit that comes with having women in positions of leadership that you can outrightly support women to go up that career ladder and then just constantly put in the hard work there is need to um, take on that responsibility the support that can be provided but a lot of it has to come from you excellently delivering on the uh, responsibilities that you have been Mm. assigned
0: how has this role opened your eyes to some of these issues of financial exclusion for women
1: Um, I think most of it is things I already knew that it's very easy to have products and services that cater to the need of men or to the needs of men Mm. because the men are really the ones that are, that know how to go out there and chase for what they need. Most women will require. And I, I apologise. This might be generalising, mm. but most women will require that you reach out to them. So those who are working in the markets that have micro businesses, rather than take on that initiative to go into a microfinance or a bank to seek out products and services they are better off if you find them in the marketplace. So that's something that we are working on to mm. say, how is it that we can find our customers or our potential customers where they are, where they are trading, and tell them what is available mm. to serve them. Mm. Number two is that exclusion. Um, f- for, you know There's a tendency for us to, t- to focus in um, cities and forget that you know, most of the women
0: are actually... The larger percentage is uh, actually in the rural areas in the
1: rural areas mm. in the farms in Rwanda you will know that we have uh, at least 80% of the population in, involved in agriculture so how do you actually reach those women and, and uh, in the, in the fields mm. um a lot of it has to do with partnerships. We also realize that as a bank, you really cannot do it on your own. So it's important that we partner with microfinances, and we're doing a lot of that, partner with savings groups, s- partner with insurance, in- insurance providers, so that we're able to provide a holistic approach to um, financial inclusion.
0: Mm. Okay, so take us into the mind of an executive or bank employee when you Thinking about banking, is it about money, the way we think about banking because I, you know as an outsider, you think a bank, you think about money, or is it about people
1: Banking is a people business it 's really about whatever you will be doing, developing products and services, delivering them is all about people it 's about having the right people in the right place, mm-hmm. but in the mind of uh, of an executive, I would summarize it this way that on a daily basis you 're thinking about banking of the future, the banking of the future. Banking has changed tremendously. In our countries, especially on the continent of Africa, uh, mobile money has come and really taken, done a lot of the things that banks should have been doing. Mm -hmm. They've been able to create products and services that are easy to consume, that are affordable and are fast. Things that banks had you know, some kind of complexity mm. and unable to evolve that fast. So how are we going to evolve to match the competition or to match the, the, the landscape that we are seeing in financial inclusion? Mm. And I think that uh, has a lot to do with partnerships with fintechs we have seen a lot of fintechs coming up and providing services or developing products that cater to the needs of the unbanked, those that we're not able to, to reach. So what what are the right partnerships and what will those look like in the future? When we talk about AI, you know, uh, we pride ourselves in being the bank with the largest branch network, but is that sustainable? Is that what will sustain our business? Mm. So those are the things we're thinking about. How are we going to use artificial technology, blockchain, and all these things that seem like buzz words, to um, evolve and serve our customers mm. much better than we currently The are.
0: landscape is continuously evolving with the different technologies. Um, all right, so I can't let you go without asking you about, you're here in the U.S. Obviously, there's a diaspora component to whatever mission brings you to the U.S. Let's talk about the role of the diaspora in terms of, uh, like, what, ta- what kind of outreaches are you doing in terms of reaching out to the diaspora? It's a very big market. Diaspora remits millions of dollars each year to Rwanda billions to Africa what what are some of the strategies to kind of tap into the diaspora
1: mm. I think you you've raised a really important point we've got to a point on the continent where for most countries um, diaspora remittances have exceeded uh, foreign direct investment or even aid. that we have known for for a while and so we are thinking what is it that we're going to do how do we position ourselves as a bank to serve the needs of of the diaspora and i i would put myself in the shoes of a diaspora and say what is it that i would want my my bank to be able to do number 1 i want to be able to send money easily cheaper and faster to to our country to my country of origin okay. and one of the things we have done is getting into partnerships with um IMTs international money transfer organizations currently we have partnerships with about seven of those you know speak of you know the western unions mm-hmm. the moneygrams and all those international money uh, transfer services so getting into partnerships with them so that we can serve the market well. Number two would be how do I invest in my country? And most of the investments we have seen go into real estate, and so we want to facilitate that process. We have a mortgage uh, facility that we're currently providing to diaspora, you know, customers. Mm. And when it comes to outreach the number of initiatives we're thinking about we're getting into partnerships with you know foreign missions diplomatic missions um so that we're able to tap into you know those networks that they have um i was here for rwanda day uh, where the the president was meeting with the members of the diaspora so we had a desk where we were collecting information um from the diaspora and then also as a bank we are blessed uh, to have a number of shareholders that are across the world. We have about uh, over 500,000 minority shareholders. where majority shareholder is KCB, but 500,000 plus minority shareholders. We want to tap into that network to have them not only as shareholders, but also as customers of the mm-hmm. bank. So remittances, mortgages, as well as uh, other payment services that, that, that they would require, we're positioning ourselves to serve them that way.
0: Patience Mutesi, CEO of Bank Populaire in Kigali, Rwanda. Thank you so much for taking time to come chat with us here on Upfront. Such a pleasure to see you. Thank
1: you. Long Thank time you coming. <laughs> I enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed Thank
0: it too. Thank much. you so much. Yeah. Good to see you.
2: What's up, Africa? You are listening to Upfront on the Voice of America. Hello. I'm enjoying your program. I'm Richard Martin small kid from Nigeria, Caraba State, the rural local government.
3: Yo,
0: this is Emmanuel Jal. You're listening to Upfront on the Voice of America with Jackson. <laughs> A 22-year-old Zimbabwean with cerebral palsy is hoping to compete in the 2024 Special Olympics Canada Winter Games in Calgary. From February 27th to March 2nd, Meanwhile, groups that advocate for disabled people's rights are hoping to turn
2: government policy into law. Columbus Mavunga reports from
0: Harare in
2: Zimbabwe. In Ufakos Township in Harare, Zimbabwe, Tapiwana Ashe, Prince Mutsikira, spends his time running and training students at his former school, some of whom have disabilities. Mutsikira, a 22-year-old runner with cerebral palsy, Hopes his hard work will help him qualify to represent Zimbabwe in track competitions at the 2024 Special Olympics Canada Winter Games in Calgary from February 27 to March 2. If I get the opportunity to go compete at the Olympics, it will really be exciting. I tell my colleagues that they can do the same that with their disabilities, they can also compete. Do not look down on yourselves. He maintains a positive outlook despite having cerebral palsy, a group of disorders that affect a person's ability to move and maintain balance and posture. His grandmother, Tambuzai Rujizonyariri, who began caring for Mutsikiram when he was three, says at one point she could not imagine her grandson training and competing like this. We thank God for Tapiwa's positive attitude. He is just 22 years old and trains other children living with disabilities. It's unbelievable. Zimbabwe statistics say that of its population of 16 million people, more than 1.4 million have a disability. Now, organizations of people with disabilities in Zimbabwe are pushing for the passage of legislation that would make law some recommendations based on the government's disability policy launched in 2021. Advocates say the current law, the Disabled Persons Act of 1992, is falling short. If the bill is passed into law, it means so many other services that they are not accessing at the moment will be accessible. Because at the moment, our current act at the moment is outdated. Zimbabwe's policy says disabled people should have equal rights to employment, education and health, among other things. Government officials say some provisions of the national disability policy are being implemented. The government of Zimbabwe has now set up a National Technical Committee on Disability Inclusion. This committee has representatives from all the 26 government ministries. It has representatives from organisations of persons with disabilities and our development partners as well. Meanwhile, Mutigira says he'll keep pushing ahead and encouraging other persons with disabilities to do the same.
0: This is Upfront on the Voice of America. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: Are you wandering around lost in a musical desert? Well, follow your ears to the fantastic. The one and only African music mix on The Voice of America.
0: <laughs> Bathe yourself in this musical oasis. Welcome back. This is Upfront on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. The North African country of Tunisia has been at the forefront of political change in the Arab world. In 2011, the country was the birthplace of the Arab Spring or the Jasmine Revolution, which paved the way for increased participation and representation of women in the political process. Tunisia implemented a gender parity law, which ensured that women constitute at least 50 percent of electoral lists. Experts say that this step has led to more equitable distribution of political power, breaking down traditional barriers that once limited women's political involvement. Later this year, Tunisians will go to the polls to elect a new leader, and my next guest will be one of the candidates. Alpha Handy is the head of the Third Republic Party. She joins me to talk about some of her platform. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you for inviting me. Did I say your name correct? Yes, yes. You did very well.
0: (laughs) All right. So start off. Can you tell us about your background and um, what motivated you to enter politics and run for the presidency?
3: A Tunisian woman who has a dream for her country that she shares with millions of Tunisians, which is a free country, free people uh, who are also uh, who live in prosperity and who can pursue their dream and their happiness. Uh, which is a God-given right in our view. Um, I'm an engineer by training. Uh, have had many experiences, an entrepreneur, inventor, um, a teacher, um, you know, a businesswoman, and many other things. I was the, uh, the former CEO of the uh, National Airline, tried to reform it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that turned out to not work well, which led me to enter politics officially, actually, mm-hmm. after yeah. which I founded the Third Republic Party. Uh, which is a, a party focused on the principles and the values of freedom, justice, and growth. Uh, which is in, in our in our core belief, growth is our generation's mm-hmm. right. Uh, and after that, you know the things. You, you keep growing, you keep working, and you end up becoming a presidential candidate in the <laughs> upcoming... <laughs> here you are. And here I am. You <laughs> Your know.
0: elections are in November this year, correct? Uh,
3: start in September. Start in September. Yes. Okay.
0: Uh, so what are some of the pressing issues? Of We talked about how uh, Tunisia was... The, at the epicenter of the yes. jasmine revolution, yes. um, and for the longest time it has been like the beacon on North Africa for democracy. Yes. What would you say are some of the pressing issues right now currently in Tunisia as you head into these elections?
3: Yes. The slogan of the revolution in 2011 that people chanted in the street was karama wataniya, which meant employment, freedom, dignity. We worked on the freedom, we worked on the dignity, we forgot the employment. Mm. And that's why we're here today in Tunisia, and that's what I'm working on, which is, what you said, the present issue is economy, economy, economy. Because had Tunisians and the young people of Tunisia, and women and men alike found the right jobs the opportunities the well-paid jobs because when you're an engineer in tunisia who is very well educated and if you immigrate to any european country your salary would be ten times what you would get in tunisia a country that is literally 30 minutes away from europe basically Mm -hmm. on the on the on the on the you know the neighbor to the to in the mediterranean sea Uh, that's what creates the challenge to tunisians for them to live their lives in prosperity and freedom in tunisia so the present issue is economy, economy, economy. And of course, this particular issue gets complicated with the political environment, with the social you know, uh, requirements. And so it creates this complex situation, which we're proposing to solve through a very well-structured and well-organized and well-defined uh, uh, path.
0: Mm. What would you say has been the lasting impression or impact of uh, the Jasmine revolution?
3: A woman like me sitting here in front of you. That's the last and impact. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, President Reagan says a gener- a freedom is one generation away from extinction. Uh, the Jasmine Revolution happened in 2011. We're still within the one generation that did that revolution. And I'm a product of that. So, the number one thing which is there is that the freedom that Tunisians actually started, the spark of freedom, is living within us. And we're a generation that is now ready uh, to lead that freedom and actually make it real and materialize it and institutionalize it Mm -hmm. uh, so that we can create the opportunities. And we live our dreams in in Tunisia. You know, I was an immigrant, uh, you know, for a very long time, and immigration is part of who I am. uh, So I'm always supportive of of, uh, people's, uh, uh, you know, it's a hard decision to immigrate so that you can pursue your dream. Mm -hmm. So one of the very very things that is dear to me, which is connected to what the revolution is all about, is this hope... Um, millions of Tunisians have all over the world uh, who are part of the diaspora to go back to Tunisia, to uh, live in Tunisia, to create in Tunisia, to thrive in Tunisia, and for Tunisia to become the place for uh, what we call the safe, ha- safe harbor of North Africa.
0: Mm. Now, we we're talking about earlier about the, the gender parity law that was enshrined, I think, in mm-hmm. the 2014 constitution, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that We've seen those reforms re- rolled back by yes. you know, the yes. current administration. Um, what in your view are some of the things that need to be done or what will you do to kind of get back to that level where women f- feel represented yes. fully in the political process?
3: Um, it's unfortunate that the uh, new constitutional path we've taken and the new governance system that's been installed, the biggest loser of the new system are women. It's quite unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's what makes actually of the top four uh, presidential candidates in the voter intention uh, polls, two are women, which tells you that despite the change uh, or the backsliding in terms of uh, women political participation, the Tunisian people still see female leadership as a serious alternative to to what the country needs right now, which is uh, economic reform, a path to reconciliation, and a positive hope given to our youth and to our people. Uh, What I will do, I would say, you know, looking at, there are many ways to help, uh, and there are people who, of course, you know, besides establishing the governance system and and re-establishing those assets that Tunisian women used to have when it comes to uh, parity in in the representation. Uh, What I can tell you is that Tunisian women today, like men, but women feel it more, they struggle with money, financial freedom financial inclusivity, access to to, to jobs. A lot of women in Tunisia, a large percentage of the informal economy workers are women. So these are women who work, that are underpaid, that don't have any type of security, no contracting, and it's kind of, a you know, that's working in darkness Mm. is what's hurting them the most. So one of the key reforms I'm working on is the integration of the informal economy, which exceeded now 50% of the formal economy is integrating it and creating a path to integration into the formal economy by reforming the overall system and putting Tunisia on a path to economic freedom. And economic freedom is a very well-defined concept. Uh, by now we know in the world, uh, whether in the a- other African com- countries who are inspiring to Tunisia, but also other, other, many other countries, we know what it takes to actually take a country and unlock growth and bring it back to economic freedom and and, and, and and make it an environment where you can create opportunities for women. So it's something that is dear to me, is financial empowerment to women uh, so that they can actually be and choose to be who they want to be.
0: Right. <laughs> al Hamdi. thank you so much for taking time to come and chat with us. And good luck in the next elections. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, we come to the end of our show today. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at VIA.